0: I see the role within healthcare as care, and then the cultivation of health needs to happen outside of healthcare, because health can't be produced within healthcare. We can treat illness and we can care, and we must, and we must do both to the best of our abilities. But health transcends the individual and it absolutely falls outside of of healthcare. It's developed in the places that we grow and live and learn and work and play.
1: Hello and welcome to The Recovery, the podcast about how we can make healthcare more sustainable for people and the planet. Produced by Cochrane Sustainable Healthcare and co-published with the BMJ. I'm Ray Moynihan from Bond University in Australia and we're going totally off script now um, with my fabulous co-host, Dr Fiona Godley, who is the Editor-in-Chief Of the BMJ and today we have an extraordinary conversation coming up don't we Fiona?
2: We really do Ray thanks so much we've got um, the wonderful Gillian Oro and she's a a general practitioner who trained in Cambridge which is where I now live Um, and she's transforming the way uh, medicine is practiced and she's doing this by helping drive what I think you really can say is a radical project it's called Growing Health Together And she's working with community groups and local governments and teachers and artists. And the aim is to see if they can improve the health of the people in the county of Surrey, 187,000 people in southeast England. And they're doing this by using uh, things like fresh food and music and art and and bicycle paths and obviously alongside the the pills and the CT scans when they're needed. And um, so we started the conversation talking about what inspired Gillian to set up this new venture.
0: I guess I just see so much ill health that could easily be prevented. And I see that we spend so much effort in trying to fix people, put people back together, uh, and then send them out to the conditions that made them sick in the first place. And we know what is needed for people to be healthy and well. We really do, there is so much evidence, but there's this enormous gap between what we know and then what's actually happening. Uh, And I think this work came about really through myself and others saying, enough's enough. Somebody's got to change things and uh, we can't wait for somebody else to come and save us. Why don't we work together to see
1: what we can do? You've talked about seeing an unraveling of people's confidence in their ability to manage their own health.
2: Uh, Yeah, I found that phrase so moving. um, Somehow it it struck a chord with me, uh, the the way you framed that, an unravelling of confidence. It's such a worry. It is such a worry. And it is something that I've really
0: seen progressively through the course of the last 20 odd years of my career. Um, I think when I started out as a GP, there's obviously always a spectrum of some people who, who know how to self-care and come, come to the doctor sort of judiciously when they really need to and, and others who feel less confident. But I felt particularly in the lead up to the pandemic, I felt as though we as a medical profession had sort of encouraged this dependency on our on our healthcare system to be able to fix anything for anybody immediately Um, And all of the sort of knowledge that's been passed down through generations around how to look after ourselves and look after our community, look after our families, look after the planet upon which we depend, seems to have somehow been lost. And I felt as a GP somehow, in part, in a small part, responsible for being part of that process.
2: I think it would be really helpful for listeners um, to understand a little bit more of the detail of what you're doing, Jillian. if you can bear to just share that, you know, I've, I've scribbled on my notes here, access to good food, reducing barriers to exercise, social connection, exposure to the natural environment. Can you just give us a few sort of visual pictures of, of what those things mean in, in, in reality?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we can... Uh, sort of conceptually organize some of the activity that's going on in my primary care network, which is Hawley, um, in terms of enabling physical activity, um, improving access to fresh food, Um, Supporting social connection and connection with the wider natural environment. And so some projects within that include trying to work with other partners, including our county council around improving active travel infrastructure, which we've been told by our community isn't up to scratch. People don't feel safe on the roads. Uh, In terms of improving access to fresh food, there are just so many initiatives from a wonderful initiative run by our borough council to um, reduce food poverty and reduce food waste through setting up a food club with access to fresh food, um, which many uh, of our collaborators from the community volunteer for, um, through to setting up community gardens outside uh, one of the local infant schools, setting up a community garden in the premises of one of our NHS Buildings, Uh, a wonderful group of carers are establishing a food growing project beside the river in Hawley, um, which is being led by young people with learning disabilities uh, in terms of social connection. There's some exciting work around intergenerational connection in our care homes and bringing young people in to share their love of music and and being physically active with our older people um, and supporting wonderful work already underway in our village of Smallfield, um, including uh, coffee mornings, chair-based yoga, art classes, and so much more. I,
1: I love the way that you are building on what's there. You're drawing on the strengths of community. Those roots are so old. Song and dance and art and and enjoying the natural world are not exactly novel, Um, but you're drawing on that to help create what seems like a very novel approach to being a doctor.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And I guess this work draws upon wonderful work and people who've been advocating for this way of doing things for, for centuries Um, So we are very grateful to to them. But I think I would like to just stress that it's not just East Surrey that has these wonderful assets for health. Everywhere has these in their community. It's just that healthcare traditionally hasn't seen them, hasn't valued them or recognised them. I hope it's not too indulgent to share this, but when my daughter was young, I remember taking her to a local pond to see uh, frogs born turn to tadpoles turn into frogs. And we'd seen the frogs born, we'd seen the tadpoles, and we went back for the frogs. They weren't there. We went back. They weren't there. Went back again, and we were really frustrated by this time. And I think my daughter started crying. And I suggested we sit down on a bench and we had some lunch. And as we sat there, after about ten minutes, a tiny little frog jumped onto my daughter's hand. And after another few minutes, we saw another frog. And suddenly, as our eyes adjusted, we were surrounded by thousands of frogs. And they were there all along. It's just that we'd been looking in the wrong place. We were too fast. We we didn't really know what we were looking for. And I think that was a wonderful metaphor for me for health. Everything we need for health and well-being is already there. We just have to slow down and and look at it.
1: It strikes me that, in such dark times and facing the the extraordinary disaster of climate change you're responding to that in such positive ways with such positivity is that a genuine positivity or is it just for this interview julian
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh, there's nothing put on this is this is just me um yeah, I have to say, I'm glad that you brought up climate change because that was one of the incentives that helped me to really drive forward this work in the first place. I've now discovered that there is a term for the type of approach that we're taking, which I think was coined by Dr. Elizabeth Sowen in the US, which is multi solving. So I could see that so many of the work that we needed to do to improve health around enabling people to be physically active, for example, and have access to fresh food and be connected to to nature are so similar to what we need to do to enable the sorts of changes that are needed to address the climate and ecological emergencies and to address health inequity. And it's really difficult when you think about health inequity and the climate and ecological emergencies and health on a sort of large scale. How on earth do you tackle those those wicked problems? But on a small scale, there are just so many brilliant ideas that so many people that we're working with come up with that tackle all of those at the root cause at almost zero cost. I think seeing seeing that leadership uh, from those that we're working with within our communities particularly and with our colleagues from the different organisations is what gives me so much hope.
1: You've been inspired by frogs, but I think you've also been inspired by Greta, Gre- Greta Thunberg, is, is that right?
0: Oh, of course. who can fail but to be inspired by her. But this this work and the seeds for this work took place in, in my heart before Greta came on the scene and I felt that I had to do something and things are unravelling in so many ways. And I, I couldn't. I had, to, I had to just do something and use whatever I could to do something. Um, and I think her calls to us as adults is that we all need to do something. And again, to quote Dr. Elizabeth Sauvin, uh, nobody needs to do everything, but everybody needs to do something. And this is a way, uh, a model for health in which everybody can be involved. And. I think I mentioned in my work earlier, we're working with some people, um, young people with learning disabilities, we're working with carers, we're working with asylum seekers and, and refugees, etc. and the list goes on. And I think it's very easy in busy, uh, sort of top-down environments, not to see that all of these, the diversity within our communities is the greatest strength. And all of these people whose views perhaps are not typically sought out by doctors, actually, can improve what we're doing so much.
2: Gillian, as a GP, you will have been um, closely involved in all of the kind of lifestyle initiatives that, that that are needed through, you know, nice guidelines and and you know, helping people to try to change their lifestyle. But to what extent is what you're you're doing different? Because often there's lifestyle initiatives are based within the idea of the individual having to change their life as a as an isolated thing rather than than something that exists within community. Mm. I think this work really came out
0: of my frustration with that model of trying to support individuals through behavior change which is perhaps ironic because I was involved in research on behavior change of individuals and published a meta-analysis on your in your journal. <laughs> on physical activity promotion within primary care. But in my experience as a GP, there is such a broad spectrum through which individuals can engage with behaviour change. So for example, if we take a a heterosexual white male who's in steady employment with a good income, the possibility that exists for him to change his behaviour is infinitely greater than for somebody, perhaps a single parent from a minority minority ethnic community who's working night shifts, living in very small accommodation with only access to a microwave and doesn't have the money to buy a bike or a pair of trainers. It's not fair to expect the same health promotion advice to have a similar impact on those two different individuals. And that's what I, I see in practice. And so that was... That recognition was one of the things that spurred me on to think actually let's change the environment." When I was a GP in Cambridge, I didn't really have to recommend people cycle because everybody cycled. but in Surrey, where the roads are very fast and we don't have so many cycle lanes, cycling is is not the norm um, and so I, I felt that the environment had to change, and then it will health promotion advice, which perhaps still may have a role, can be more effective and more equitable.
1: You talked about working with minority communities. You've talked about that a couple of times. Have you faced any, any challenges or, or cultural barriers there in that work?
0: Um, so in terms of our work with minority ethnic communities, the place where that's working um, really well is in Red Hill, led by my colleague, Dr. Uzma Aziz. And she had been developing stronger links with her mosque through the vaccination program. And as she speaks several South Asian languages it's quite easy for her to connect with different people in the mosques. And she's been pursuing fantastic health creating work, listening to what um, the, the, the people worshipping at the mosque want to do to improve their health and well-being and, and helping them to take that forwards.
2: Um, um, Gillian, t- tell us a bit about what you're seeing. Uh, what changes are you seeing? Are you able to document shifts in people's behaviours or their, their well-being or even their actual physical health?
0: Mm. The evaluation of this work has been more challenging than I would have anticipated. And as it was beginning to emerge, designing an evaluation was really quite high up in my mind, Um, but it was very difficult to get funding for. So even though the work is already underway, uh, the evaluation has not yet started, but the evaluation is of a similar Um, nature to the work in that it's uh, collaborative design. So we're designing it with the county council, with the borough councils, um, with community members and others. And we're going to be looking at quantitative outcome data on, on admissions, prescribing rates, health inequalities, air quality, and many other variables, but also qualitative interviews, understanding what the, the the people's involvement in this work has has um affected and also allowing and encouraging our community members who are involved to document the changes that they're seeing in their own way which may be through art or poetry or film video um, there, there's lots of enthusiasm for all of those different modes so hopefully there'll be a very broad um range uh, of, of evidence to show what, what's been happening. But rather than this being a one-off evaluation at the end of a period where we say, oh, well, that didn't work, OK, well, we give up, we can't do that everybody needs to be able to access the social determinants of health so what we want to take is more of an iterative yep. approach where we're trying things learning from what works learning from what doesn't work and then continually trying to improve so it's
2: m- the effectiveness m- more of, of a quality doing. improvement approach and as, as you're speaking Indeed. Jillian, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to sending some of that work to the BMJ I do hope you will because <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, this is, a, this is absolutely the, the, the way forward. I can't imagine how we will get out of, of where we are now without, without an approach like this.
1: And while the BMJ might be interested in this and Fiona might be interested in this, what, what about other colleagues, Gillian? What's What sort of reactions? Because this is not... The sort of normal work for a Cambridge-educated general practitioner to be doing. I mean, what are the reactions you're getting from your colleagues, from other 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 medicos, specialists, uh, you know, physicians, uh, nurses? I mean, wh- what sort of response?
0: Overwhelmingly positive. When I started asking colleagues about these ideas, I didn't expect people to welcome them. I did expect to be ignored or or laughed at, and. Actually, I think it makes sense to people on a human level more than an intellectual level. And people are tired and cynical and they want to they want to come together and, and do things in a different way. And this work is so joyful. Uh, I have many colleagues who are also involved in different areas of East Surrey who are leading the work in their places, and they have described the connections that they're growing with their communities as being the absolute highlight of their career that's keeping them in their work.
1: It is fascinating.
0: I was just going to say it's positive for our own health and well-being in so many ways. So, for example, when I started cycling to work a few years ago, my patients would say, "You shouldn't cycle; you're going to be killed." And no, none of my other colleagues cycled to work at that point. But now, so many of us cycle. We need to buy a new bike rack. And um, thinking about community initiatives, the community are raising money for. Uh, things that they want to do through doing fun runs and sponsored swims, et cetera. And uh, we're getting involved in that. So we're getting fitter as well in, in helping uh, support our community in fundraising events. So there are all sorts of interdependencies which are supporting the health and well-being of, of as and many as possible. And I guess there must be
2: that feeling also. I mean, going back to that sort of unsustainable tide of ill health that you see coming through the door, uh, you, you as, as, as GPs, uh, there must be a sense of, You know, okay. Here is a way in which we can not just simply treat what's coming through the door, but try and you know prevent it from from growing all the time. Exactly.
0: That seemed to me to be the best way to avoid preventable harm within healthcare. Not to say no, you can't. I won't help you, but actually to avoid the need for that person to seek help in the first place. And also, I think when people feel well, they can recognize when they're ill. We don't want people who are ill not seeking help because actually we may be able to help them. But at the moment, it seems so many people just don't feel particularly well all of the time. It's quite hard for them to recognize when they fall ill, as opposed to when somebody is really flourishing. I see the role within healthcare as care. And then the cultivation of health needs to happen outside of healthcare. Because health can't be produced within healthcare. We can treat illness and we can care and we must, and we must do both to the best of our abilities. But health transcends the individual and it absolutely falls outside of of healthcare. It's developed in the places that we grow and live and learn and work and play.
2: And Gillian, does this need um, politicians to be involved or would you rather they stayed out of it?
0: (laughs) That's an interesting question. Mm, I don't have much contact with politicians, I'll be honest. Um, a couple of members of the House of Lords have been incredibly helpful in this work in terms of um, Lord Nigel Crisp and his wonderful book, um, Health is Made at Home, and also Lord Andrew Mawson, the, form, uh, the founder of Bromley by Bow Bro Practice, both of whom have given me and colleagues so much uh, support support and advice on how to develop this work um, and our colleagues within the councils have been absolutely fantastic and we could in no way pursue this work without our collaborative relationships with them so politicians i'm not sure i'm not sure
2: <laughs> good answer no it's just about the question about you know if one really wanted the, the, to, to, to see change at scale uh, is that going to require um you know the, the intervention of political systems, but you know the answer is perhaps not. And you know Greta Thunberg is, is is an example. And here are you doing something at local level, which you know through inspiration and through example it can be eminently scalable. I guess.
0: Mm. I think we have to acknowledge that we can't overcome all the problems at the local scale, and other changes needed. I guess I quite like to see communities designed around a principle of health and well-being. And if a society and an economic system could be designed around the same principles, and I know that there are lots of calls for a well-being economy, for example, that's the sort of thing that could then take the effectiveness of what we're doing at the local level up a tremendous amount, because we know that social inequality is at the root cause of so much of ill health. And we can't tackle all of that at the local level, but we will do what we can.
1: That does raise the question of I mean, let's be crude, let's be frank about it, you know, how much is achievable without really fundamentally tackling the economic growth paradigm that drives so much of the, the danger to human health but also to the planet?
0: Yeah, that's a, a fantastic question and one I spend a lot of time reflecting on. I think my perhaps inadequate answer is I feel as a small person quite unable to shift that economic system. But I do have agency as a doctor working in this area to work with others to bring about change. And I can see that the impacts that is already having on those involved in terms of them reporting improved mental health, being more physically active, having lost weight, um, reduce their alcohol intake, et cetera. So I see that that can happen almost instantly, whereas changing an economic system is going to take time. I've been quite influenced by reading the works of Wendell Berry, through the evolution of all this work. And I think, I'm afraid I can't give a direct quote, I was just, he talks I've about... I've been
2: trying to learn the marvellous Wendell Berry poems. I mean, I've not been trying to learn I have been learning them, but I won't, I won't test my memory today. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Brilliant. Such a wise, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, but he talks about how... Uh, there was a wonderful article, which I recommend everybody who's interested in this topic reads, called Think Little. And in that wonderful essay, which really helped power me on in this work, he talks about how we can just start where we are and eventually governments might follow.
2: How would you say the pandemic has changed things for you and for your project or for your thinking around around all of these issues? I think the
0: pandemic just underlined the need for this type of initiative Of course, many of us now think of it not as a pandemic, but a syndemic characterized by the interactions between COVID-19 and social and biological factors. And so putting the emphasis not only on treating diseases, but actually looking at the underlying causes, including the socioeconomic factors, which often drive lifestyle factors, is imperative now more than ever. So I think whilst COVID-19 has made implementation of this work far harder because we, we held a community meeting with lots of people before the pandemic, but we couldn't do those. We couldn't even meet in small groups. And many of the more marginalized voices that we want to connect with and build trust with don't maybe have access to the Internet or feel comfortable speaking over the Internet with a stranger. So. There are all sorts of challenges like that. But at the same time, I think people have just become much more open and things that we thought were immutable have turned out not to be. So there's this new openness to different ways of working. So that's very much moved in our favour.
1: This is fantastic. And I just, I've just, i just got three words going through my mind, community, solidarity and humility. Thank you so much, Julian. It's just been such a pleasure.
2: Thanks, Julian. Wonderful to talk. Keep up the good work. Thank you so that, much. that that goes without saying. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Don't <laughs> stop. Thank you.
1: That was the recovery, and you were listening to a conversation with Gillian Oro. A big thanks to Cochrane Sustainable Healthcare's Minna Johansson and Dina Musket Meng for production. Duncan Jarvis at the BMJ for podcasting assistance. And to sound guru Jan Mutz.
2: Sir so, Julian, I found the, the Wendelberry poem. I did know it, but I, I, um, I, I need to read it. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. It's wonderful, isn't it? And thank you for reminding me. Uh, so, what you, what, what's your favourite poem, Wendell Berry? <laughs> oh that was so beautiful thank you Fiona um I really love
0: so many of Wendell Berry's poems but one of them that inspired me in this work is called wild geese and it ends what we need is here and that's something that really speaks to my beliefs about about
2: health at what the we individual need is here. community so and good. planetary level so good thank you